This week, uh, was, um, we got to go to a very special place. It's a special place for, for uh, our youngest son, Deacon, especially. Um, last month, Cane's, Raising Cane's, opened up here in the queue. Um, now, we, my family's been to Cane's plenty of times all over the United States. Our, our favorite places are Las Cruces. They've had one for a long time. Amarillo, Lubbock's had one for a long time. But now there's one here. And so Danette, Deke, and I went to Cane's, and when we got there on Friday night, there was a line of cars wrapped around not just the parking lot where Cane's sits there at San Mateo Montgomery, but it wrapped back around uh, the buildings, back the alley, down into the street. I don't know how long it was exactly, but we decided we weren't going to wait in that line. We were going to go inside. And so as we got out of the car, we then saw the line um, outside of Cane's to get inside. And it's like a Disneyland ride almost. Um, the, the line stretched out into the parking lot. The weather wasn't awesome. Uh, it was spitting rain and kind of windy. Um, but we got in line. Now, Cane's is Deke's absolute favorite food place. He wants it every time he sees it. And if you ask him why, he says, Dad, it's the sauce. It's all about the sauce. So whenever we go, we always ask for three, four, five extra sauces. So we waited 45 minutes in this line. And as we waited, we wondered if this, like, how does this whole operation, like, work? Like, right? Like, if this is how it is from 9 a.m., which is when they open, to midnight, which they close, like, how do they have enough chicken? Coleslaw, Texas toast. How do they have enough sauce? Sweet tea, Coke Zero. Like, we're thinking about this, talking about this in line. Do they... Do they store things over at the Albertsons, like, freezer? Are they just having trucks coming in all day? Like, how do they do this? How do they provide so much food to people who are willing to wait 45 minutes in line outside, however long, in the cars to get food all day long? So when we finish, it took 45 minutes for us to get to the front. We ordered food. It took five minutes for us to get our food, and then we ate it all up, clean and good, drinking our Coke Zeros, eating our Tinders, licking up all the sauce. It was wonderful. And as we walk out, there's this golden retriever picture. And the picture, I think, will come up here on the screen. There's a golden retriever picture. It reminds Deacon of our dog, Nugget. Uh, this dog has sunglasses on. He goes, Can we t I want to take a picture in front of Chicken Nugget. Appropriate. And then he says, I'm so thankful that God brought Raising Cane's to New Mexico. The Lord's provision to Albuquerque is raising canes. Now, today, we're talking about a God who provides from 2 Kings chapter 6. Now, seven short verses that remind us that God is our provider, like raising canes kind of reminding. And so three things this morning. God provides a place, God provides a resurrected axe head, and God provides the prophet or the man of God. God provides a place. Why is this significant? Now, remember in this story, we've been in Elijah and Elisha for several months now. Remember where we started in the Elijah narr narrative. Years before we're here at the Jordan River, where Elijah and the sons of the prophets are building a house. Well, they started on the run, right? The prophets were running for their very lives. Many killed for proclaiming God and his word. 
Where, where did they run? Well, they ran to caves. They were invisible. Like Elijah, remember himself, thinks, I'm the only one. What happened to all the prophets? Well, they're all in hiding, Elijah. Jezebel and her prophets of Baal and the whole army of the northern kingdom is hunting them down. My, how things have changed. Now, the Amorite dynasty hasn't ended, but with the renewal that has come through Elijah and now Elisha, the sons of the prophets are not just building a house, but a bigger house. What has required the move? Well, we're not told, but the sons of the prophets ask Elijah, can we, can we build a new house? Because the one we've been living in is too small for us. Now, before we, we move any further, I just want to stop and pause and consider the amazing way that God can reverse fortunes. The way God can provide when before maybe there wasn't provision. The way God can take a, a, something that's been lost and bring renewal and multiply it. That's what's happening in the, with Elijah and the sons of the prophets. Let's go down by the Jordan River. Let's, let's cut down some trees. Let's build a, a big log cabin. And so they go. And Elijah goes with them and they get to work. And this leads to the second point. God doesn't just provide a new house and the land and the logs and the tools required to build it. Look at verses 4 and 5. They came to the Jordan. They cut down trees. But as one was felling a log, his axe head fell into the water. And he cried out, alas, my master, it was borrowed. God provides the tools, including this very specific borrowed axe head. But a failing tree causes the axe head to break off the handle, and it gets flung into the bottom of the muddy, dirty Jordan River. And this young prophet is perplexed. Why? Well, well the axe head was borrowed. Now, according to the law of Moses, the, the borrower would have then been responsible to restore the damaged and borrowed property. Now, I've borrowed tools, things from my dad and others through the years, and there have been times when I've taken those tools or piece of equipment, and I ended up breaking it. Now, when those things happened, I was upset, but not to the point of the son of the prophet. I thought, I'll just replace them, or my dad will understand it because he knows me, and he knows probably why it broke. But what if, it was bar what, 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 if what was borrowed was too expensive to replace, or maybe too significant? A memento that meant something to someone, you borrowed it, you lost it, it can't be replaced? How, how much more frantic are you to find that thing or start planning speeches about your failure? You borrow a friend's truck to make a move. The car gets hit, totaled. You, you have to come up with money to, the, to replace it. The weight of the burden feels immense. They provided this gift to you, and somehow you, you wrecked it. Now, this is how you need to think about this borrowed accent. You see, iron was a very costly material in the ancient world. You couldn't just roll down to the Home Depot and grab a new axe. One, you need a silversmith, and you would need the iron for the sons of the prophet. He had neither of these things. Neither was a realistic option. 
Now, when you add to this the reality of paying a debt in the ancient world, when the debt was owed and couldn't be paid, the debt required payment. And so most times, one would become a servant, debtor's prison, to work the debt off. Now, I think about the the premise um, of George and Jerry's um, pitch to NBC on Seinfeld, right? The whole pitch of the story is uh, George wrecks his dad's car, and he's forced to become his butler, right? This is what happened in the ancient world. And thus, the great alarm, the dysregulation of the son of the prophet. He cries out to Elijah, and then the man of God says, where did it fall? And when he showed him the place, he cut off a stick and threw it in there, and made the iron float. And he said, take it up. So he reached out his hand, and he took it up. Elijah swirls a stick in the Jordan, and the axe head defies the laws of physics, and it floats. And he says to the son of the prophet, take it up. And so he reaches out his hand and brings the axe head out of the water. Now, in recovering the axe head, Elisha delivers this man from potential indebtedness and maybe even slavery. And this leads to the last point, but far from the end, so don't get excited. God provides the man of God. The, the greatest provision in this section isn't the house or the axe head, but it's Elisha. He is the kinsman redeemer. He is the one who restores life and property to all who follow him. Elisha instructs the son of the prophet, take up the axe head. These are the same words he used with the Shunammite woman. When he tells her to take up his son, what's being suggested here is in raising up the axe head, Elisha is giving this son of the prophet new life. He's reversing the laws of death and destruction. He's undoing a tragic plot of loss. The man of God is the one who has brought renewal to Israel, so much so that the prophetic ministry of God's word And God's people is at work in Israel. The man of God brings a new home out of the the dust of the caves, living on the run, living on the edge of the river of Jordan in a log cabin. The the man of God raises the axe head in a miraculous act, specifically, particularly, providing for this son of the prophet, enabling him to escape a great debt through this incredible provision. Elisha is this man. He he heals and delivers by throwing salt into a spring. He heals and delivers by uh, making a meal out of a poisoned pot. And these repeat kind of the the miraculous works that Moses did, right? When at Marah, he takes away the bitter water. Elijah accomplishes this miracle through a, a stick of wood. The church father origin would say, this miracle here becomes not just a sign of Easter, but of Good Friday. It is the man of God who is the great provision to Israel. Remember, he is the temple, and with him comes the presence of God to a, to a place devoid of both temple and God's presence, in the place where the Amorite dynasty has led people to idol worship of the Baals and the Asherah, where, where people have built false temples with, with golden calves violating God's gracious provision. I mean, the miracles and the, the rescues and 
the salvation from idol worship, all incredible provision from God. But the man of God is a sign of God's presence that even in this messed up place that the northern kingdom of Israel finds themselves, God is here. And so God provides Elisha to the people. He, he is a part of a sign of God's embodied presence. Now, now, let's stop here and try to apply this a bit. Now, consider the first readers or hearers of the history of the northern kingdom and the kings. Those who would first hear about the prophetic ministry of the prophet Elisha. Remember that this, the first hearers would have been not the northern kingdom, not the people that Elisha is ministering to at the moment, but the southern kingdom. The, the northern kingdom is wiped out in judgment. It's the southern kingdom who he would hear this news of God's deliverance. And where would they hear it? In exile. What does exile feel like? What happens in exile, right? I mean, I think of the word Ichabod. The glory of God is gone. Israel taken from their homes. Taken from their land. Taken from their family. Their temple. Everything that they've ever known about their life. Ripped from their hands. And the lurking question in exile is, well, God, do you provide? I mean, look at us. If, if you read in the prophet of the exile, Habakkuk, right, his oracle begins with what? Complaint. Oh, Lord, how, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear or cry to you violence, and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you look idly at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. The law is paralyzed. And justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Habakkuk voices not God's provision, but his lack, his, his absence. I mean, I just look around God and all I see is violence. I see the guilt of the nation who has taken us from home and temple. I see strife and contention. Your law is paralyzed. It, it's inept. It's decrepit. It, it does nothing. Justice, in fact, never goes forth. There's just wickedness. Ichabod, the glory of God is gone. Now, I don't want us to glory in the wonder of God's provision here without digging into those times and places and seasons where God doesn't seem to provide. Because this is where Israel is when they hear the stories about Elijah and homes by the Jordan and axe heads getting raised out of the water. And don't you and I, when we hear these stories of God's provision, his miraculous present provision in other people's life, often find ourselves like Habakkuk, 
what about me? What about us? We're, we're yours. Why are they so full and we are so empty? Now, the Bible tells us that God made the world and, and everything in it. He invented reality. He imagined concepts of time and matter. The Apostle John calls God the Father of lights, that, that every good and perfect gift comes down to us from him so that we might recognize him. I think about the C.S. Lewis illustration when he's in a shed. And the shed is dark. And a, a light comes down through one of the, the holes in the roof. And the implication that he's making off of these verses is that we aren't to look at that little light and live by that little light that breaks through the shed. We should be like, there's a greater light out there, outside the shed that I've never been out of. And I need to discover and find that light. And yet, and yet he doesn't provide the, the same thing to everyone. Materially, contextually, spiritually, like, like some people... A lot of people, maybe even most people, don't have what they need. Some people grow up in homes without loving parents. Some live and never hear the name of Jesus. Why? Why does one person get pregnant and another person doesn't? One does, why does one person get healed from their cancer and another does not? Why does one child live and another child dies? Why do 300 people die in a train wreck in India while thousands today will take off in planes and get to their destination? Like these are the questions of those living in exile. Habakkuk voices a second complaint. He says, you make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings them all up with a hook. He, he drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and he makes offerings to his dragnet. But by them, he, he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I mean, the struggle is real. God, you, you want us to move into Babylon and be a blessing to the people who did that to our people? Don't take the tension out of this text with accents. Now, let's tease this out about some things about God's provision to end this. My buddy Chris tells a story. I'm going to share a couple stories from my buddy Chris and Matt today. But one of the stories was his first large group he was doing for RUF at Appalachian State. His very first one. So imagine he's, he's new out of seminary. He's at his first large group, and he preaches a sermon. And afterwards, a, a young man with cerebral palsy comes up to him. He says, I believe that the Bible says that a, um, a righteous man, through his prayers, can accomplish much. So I want you to pray for me so I can be healed of my cerebral palsy. Now imagine that as a young minister being faced with such a conversation. And I, we, we don't know if the man's intent was to trick Chris, but he, he looked at the man and he says, I, I don't know if 
the Lord wants to heal you. Now, by my prayer in this moment, but, but I trust that the God will, in fact, heal your broken body. It, it may not be today, and I'm going to pray for you to that end. It may not be today, but he will provide healing to you one day. See, God's provision is bound up in the story of what God's doing in the world. His provision comes in very specific ways. It's often mysterious right? That's the questions of Habakkuk. And and it often only makes sense to the one that is receiving it, right? I mean, consider the sons of the prophets. They're building a house on the River Jordan. At one point, it was caves, and now it's this large cabin. Now, God's provision isn't always the things we think we need or the things we want. Often, it's something we didn't think we needed or wanted, Maybe the question is, what did God provide the prophets when they lived in caves on the run, some, many, dying for their connection to Yahweh? What does he provide them now? Right? I mean, that is what God is doing in exile in Habakkuk. God answers Habakkuk's question. When when Habakkuk says, I'm waiting on the watchtower, what will you say to my complaint, God? He answers him very specifically. He he condescends to him in a very personal way. God's provision is always personal. The the axe head is meant to show the nature of God's very personal provision. I love this. To Habakkuk, to those in exile, God gives an answer. He will rescue his people, he tells Habakkuk. He will judge those nations who have brought them into exile. He says, the violence that has has come, but there will be a reverb. Back onto the one who brought it. I'm no fool, God says. The earth will remain silent before me. In other words, God will provide. And sometimes this provision is is bound up in future promise. Sometimes it's a very specific answer for you in your very real time of need. My buddy Matt, when he was in seminary, he was trying to live on $2.50 a day. That's because he had stopped getting paid at his church, Denton Prez, where he was the pastoral intern. He, he was thinking about quitting seminary altogether, go back to washing windows. And his pastor said to him, I want you to go through all your Facebook friends, and I want you to send them a letter and ask them for money. And he didn't want to do it, but he did. And he sent out letters and texts and made calls, and, and the money started coming in. And at one point he said, I, I just wanted it to stop. Because I said, because he said, I wanted to be right about my mistrust of God's abundant care. Like the care became too much for him. The reality of people who he hadn't talked to in years sending him thousands of dollars was like too much for him. I mean, God's provision was very personal and specific to my friend. And even in this, he was overwhelmed. Why? Because in God's provision, we are meant to come face to face with the God who provides. This is what happens to Habakkuk. Oh, Lord, I've heard the report of you. Your work, oh, Lord, do I fear? In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known in wrath. 
remember mercy. Habakkuk is overcome by God's answer in exile and his provision. In exile, friends, where, where do you need to know that God provides? In a future hope? Like the, the eschatological realities of what it means to be God's people, that what God will do one day in, in your very personal, present time, wherever it is right now, the way that you need God to show up? I remember like when I took over as pastor of this church and in the first year we saw the church go from about 90 to 35. There was three divorces. There was nine families who moved away out of the city. I remember Mars Hill Church giving us a check for $10,000 and being overcome by God's provision at this very specific time in our church's need. Years later, when we moved into this building and all the work and money that went into getting us into this place, and that first year, we didn't grow, we shrank. And I got a check from Desert Springs Church for $10,000. I got a $25,000 check from a guy who visited our church for about two weeks. He connected with me and gave his, his bonus from his turning in his stocks when he left his job and moved here. And then we got $100,000 from a church that had plenty of money to keep going but decided to close their doors so they could take all the money that was in the bank and help other churches grow. What we need, and I was, I was undone by all of that, by the way. What we need to see is that God is a God who provides. He provides here in this text through the man of God. Because God provides the man of God, anyone in proximity to the man of God receives the provision. It's a beautiful thing, right, throughout the story of Elijah. Everywhere he goes, everywhere his feet touch, there's this, this provision that he gives through Elijah. Like, it, maybe you have friends who you know if you are with that friend, everywhere that friend goes, you get the hookup. I have a friend named Todd, and he's such a friend, such a generous, giving friend. Every time I'm with Todd, I have these amazing experiences. I get to go to all these baller places, like, because I'm with Todd, he provides for me. This is the message to those in exile, by the way. Right? The message to those in exile is to follow close to the words of the prophets. You're in Babylon. Follow close to the words of the prophets. When, when Jeremiah says, move in, build gardens, go to work and bless the people, follow those words, trust in the hope of the promise being foretold that a remnant is going to return to the land, to a promise that there is one who is coming and will come, the Messiah, the anointed one of God, the future king who will lead you out of exile, the exiles we create, the exiles done to us. Ichabod will be no more. Absence will give way to presence. So much so 
that we can say something about our provisions like Habakkuk does. Habakkuk ends with some of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture. Though the fig tree should not blossom, though there are no fruit on the vines, the produce of the olive crop fails, though the the fields produce no food, the flock is cut off from the fold, though there's no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of the deer. He enables me to go on the high places. I mean, this is our God. City Press, he provides himself. And because he provides himself, we can then rejoice in the face of loss, in in exile, in the pain of, and trauma of sin, when there's no blossoms, there's no produce, there's no fruit, there's no food, there's no flocks, there's no herd. Hear that today. Hear it today. In all of your stuff, can you have Jesus in all of your stuff? When the axe head doesn't float, when... When the log cabins aren't built, do do we have what we need in Jesus? I think we do. I think you do. Because Jesus provides himself perfectly and particularly. Chris, the guy I was telling you about, he got a job after the RUF Gigit app at Redeemer, the church in Winston-Salem. And it's a church, it's his first church job and so he decides he needs to go buy some like big boy clothes like adult clothes so he goes onto this website it's called Everlane and he buys $150 in clothes which to you might not seem a lot doesn't seem like a lot to me but what Chris said to me is like man it was it was a lot for me and so they're 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 gonna go to a wedding he's gonna perform the ceremony and so he goes I, I need to wash my clothes he hangs them up to dry, and he notices that they're wrinkled, and so he goes and he sprays them with wrinkle release. And he went to gather, when he went to gather them up, he walked to the backyard, seeing him hanging, and he noticed the smell. And instead of wrinkle release, he sprayed bleach all over these clothes that he never had worn. And now they were ruined. And he said, I just, I just sat there and cried. I felt so dumb. I felt so ashamed. I, I felt like I was a fraud. I can't even wear proper clothes, he said. So driving down to the wedding, his wife, Sarah Jane, starts emailing, I guess on her phone, emailing Everlane about the clothes, and she tells them the story. And they email him back, and they said, we're just going to send you replacements for the items that were bleached, and we hope your husband enjoys them. And he says, part of it was my own folly and I was trying in my own way, and then I felt all the shame. And then, like Sarah Jane stepped in as my advocate, going before me. And then everything was made new. Re- replaced that which, was ho- uh, that which was stained with that which was whole. I love this from Lightheart, and we'll finish with this. The, the miracle of the axe head symbolizes the future of Israel. The axe head sinks into the water, and returns like Jonah the prophet. 
In Jonah, submersion and return is an image of Israel's exile into the sea of of the Gentiles and its return to the land. And the axe head passing through the Jordan further strengthens the association with Israel's exile and return. For those in exile, the first readers, this narrative demonstrates again that clinging to the prophet and his word is the way of return, the way of repentance, the way of restoration. When Israel is sent into slavery to pay off its debt of sin, it, hope, it hopes for a new exodus that will restore it to the land. It's significant further that this resurrection image takes place in water. Through submersion and return in the previous chapter, Naaman goes down in the same water, comes back cleansed of his leprosy, reborn with flesh like the flesh of a little child. The axe head sinks into the waters of the Jordan and is restored, saving the prophet from a debt. This event is thus not only a pointer to the great reversal of the return from exile, but also to the great reversal accomplished in Jesus' life, his baptism. For Jesus goes down into the waters of the Jordan, receives the Holy Spirit, The Spirit empowers him to preach the gospel to the poor, heal the lame, open the eyes of the blind. Through Christian baptism, we, too, participate in the resurrection of Jesus. As Paul says, we're buried with him in baptism so that we might walk in newness of life. As the baptized person passes through the waters, he or she is joined with Christ, shares in Christ's body, shares in the spirit that inhabits and animates the body and participates in the resurrection power of Jesus. This gift of God's provision is particular to you. It's extravagant to you. And it's exactly what you need. Jesus, the true and better prophet. Jesus bringing rescue from the dead of sin and death, restoring your brokenness with wholeness, giving you new life and resurrection. And Jesus, all those absences that you feel now in exile give way to presence. Jesus present to you by his word, his spirit, his people, joining us all together to receive from him. Even when we're out in the far country, exiled from God, he brings us back, rescues us out of the, far, the miry clay, sets us on the rock. God provides you, friends, Jesus, will you take hold of him? Will you rest in him, allow him to raise you up out of the torrents of sin and death and provide you all that you need? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your son who does provide all that we need. And I pray that you would help all of us with all our stuff, all our stuff that tends to crowd out that Jesus, all the stuff we're praying for, hoping for, wishing for, all those provisions that you show up with, help us not to be like the the man in the shed worshiping the light in the shed, but help us to climb out of that hovel hole to the light and see that there's something way greater than this little beam of light and this gift. Help us, God. Open our eyes. Help our hearts that treasure things and cling to them. Help us instead to take up the life of Christ 
not just axe heads, God. We ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.